You know that Americans spend over $60 billion each year trying to lose weight? Imagine that that cost kind of goes up around the new year <laughs> when people enlist into some different programs and stuff. The National Institutes of Health estimates that uh, that includes $25 billion spent on weight loss supplements. Most of the companies that pitch those, uh, those products promote the idea that you can just take a pill, watch the pounds melt away. And the products uh, make elaborate claims like 97% success rate or clinically proven results and even, out, even offer a 90-day money-back guarantee. But the fact is, a pill that allows you to eat whatever you want and lose weight is nothing more than a dead-end road. If anyone ever actually developed a pill that could do that, all the other companies would go out of business overnight. So it's really no surprise that for the last uh, number of years, the Federal Trade Commission has brought more than 80 law enforcement actions against companies for making false or deceptive weight loss claims for the products they are selling. And by now, you're probably wondering what weight loss supplements have to do at all with Romans chapter 6, verse 23. <laughs> but I would suggest to you that the point Paul is going to make here is that sin is a lot like those weight loss products, because just like those products, sin never delivers what it promises. Sin never delivers what it promises. And I think all of us have enough experience with sin in our lives that we know that, that to be true. But the real question we must answer this morning is how knowing that truth makes a difference in the way we live our lives. I'm going to let Paul answer that question for us as we look at Scripture. In these last few Sundays, we have been traveling the roads to Jesus, and we find ourselves on the road of life as we consider the implications of Romans chapter 6, verse 23. And let me give you a little background here of this chapter, Romans 6. This chapter began with a, with a question. If God's grace abounds where sin increases, shouldn't I just live a lifestyle of sin so that I can experience more of God's grace? If God's grace results for that, shouldn't I just go ahead and, and, and sin more so I have more of God's grace? Paul answered that question with a resounding no, no. He went on to explain that when we place our faith in Jesus, we are so closely united with Him in His death and resurrection that we have died to sin and been transformed into completely new creatures who have been freed from the power of sin. So we can no longer live as slaves to sin. And that gave rise to a second question in chapter 6, which essentially asked, I, you know, I understand that I can't be a genuine, a genuine disciple of Jesus and live a lifestyle of sin, but is it okay if I just dabble in a little sin once in a while, just a little bit. And again, Paul answered with an emphatic, no. He went on to explain that when we sin, we put ourselves back into slavery to sin again. And since we become like the, the master we have chosen to serve, we fall into more and more sin as a result. So this morning, Paul is going to show us the end result of the person who chooses to return to serving sin once they have been freed from that master. Romans chapter, chapter 6, uh, it says chapter 3, but it's supposed to be chapter 6. I, that was my misprint on that one. But Romans chapter 6, verses 20 through 23, follow along as uh, we read through this. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. 
But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So I've already shared with you part of Paul's main theme in this section. Sin never delivers what it promises. But as we'll see this morning, that's only half of the story. We'll, we'll complete that statement before we finish this morning, of course. But let's begin by talking a little more about what sin promises. Let's look at what sin promises and what it delivers. Now, there's some roads uh, that look promising at first, but when, they, when, the, when you go down them, they, they, they deliver nothing but detours and dead ends. I remember the uh, first couple months being here as, as the pastor, get to know the neighborhood a little bit more. Now, I, I grew up in the area, but it had changed so much in, in 20 years. And so I would think I could take a shortcut through some of the neighborhoods in Happy Valley and get out of the other end. And that wasn't the case most often. I'd find myself going into a neighborhood and finding out there's no outlet coming out, uh, coming out of that, and I'd have to come back to where I came in. And so there was, there was problems there. But let's look at what sin promises and what it delivers. First of all, sin promises the expressway of freedom, but it delivers the dead-end road of slavery. How many of you heard someone say something like this? I don't want to submit my life to Jesus because if I do that, I have to give up my freedom. I want to be free to do whatever I want with whoever I want. I don't need any religion to take away my freedom and tell me how to live. Have you ever, ever heard anyone talk to you about that when you tried to share Jesus with them? But what Paul makes clear in verse 20 is that the only freedom these people have is freedom from righteousness. They're not really as free as they think they are because they are actually enslaved to sin. Now, sin is a lot like a fishing lure. You use when you go trout fishing in a stream. I think Fred would probably give approval to this illustration. To the fish, the lure looks like a, a, a nice, tasty meal. But what the fish fails to see is that there is a sharp hook attached to that lure and that when it pursues that lure, what looked so good to it at first becomes the instrument that actually catches it and enslaves it to the fisherman. And sin is like that. It looks good at first. It promises pleasure and freedom. But in the end, the alcoholic becomes enslaved to his next drink. The glutton becomes enslaved to his next meal. The proud man becomes enslaved to the praise of other people. And the gossip becomes enslaved to searching out and sharing that next sordid bit of information about someone else. Sin masquerades as freedom, but in reality, it's nothing but a trap to enslave us. Sin also promises the expressway of approval, but it delivers the dead-end road of shame. One of the allures of sin is that it offers to make you popular and promises great approval from others. If you don't believe that, think about all the people you know who say something like this. I really don't want to go to heaven anyway because all my friends are going to be in hell, and we're going to have a big old party down there. 
I'd be all alone if I was in heaven. And that's a lie straight from the devil himself. The Bible is clear that hell is a place of everlasting separation, everlasting punishment, and torment. There won't be any parties going on there, that's for sure. And the only ones that will be whooping it up is the devil and his demons. Just think of how many commercials are designed to lead us to believe that engaging in some sin will make us more popular with other people. Maybe during the Super Bowl, you caught some of those commercials. What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, comes to mind here. But look what Paul writes in verse 21. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. And he reminds his readers that when they look back on what their life was like when they were still enslaved to sin and see the fruit that resulted from that sin, the result is shame. Those same sins that promised popularity and approval produced shame. The casual, casual sex that promised companionship delivered STDs and unwanted pregnancies. The beer that promised to make guys popular with women delivered DUIs and liver disease. The pornography that promised pleasure delivered a broken marriage. Ultimately, every sin that offers approval on the front end just ends up delivering shame down the road. And sin also promises the expressway of life, but it delivers the dead-end road of death. Now, no one initially sins out, sins out of duty. Uh, they do it because sin seems to offer a really enjoyable, fun life. The idea of living life on your own terms, satisfying all your own desires, is pretty attractive to most people. And it's even possible for a Christian to get sucked back into that way of thinking if we don't guard ourselves against it by taking, the heart, taking to heart the words of Paul in, in this chapter of Romans 6. But Paul tells us twice in this passage that sin does exactly the opposite. It robs us of life and it results in death. At the end of verse 21, he points out that the end result of living as a slave to sin is death. And then he states that's that same idea in a slightly different way in verse 23 where he writes that the wages of sin is death. Verse 23, is, of course, is used as part of the Roman's road to share the gospel with unbelievers. But since Paul is primarily writing here to Christians, this verse is also relevant for those of us who have already placed our faith in Jesus. Paul is primarily using this, this idea to support the overall theme of this chapter, which is that being under grace does not give us the freedom to return to a life lived in slavery to sin. And that phrase, the wages of sin is death, is used to explain that when we commit acts of sin, the wage that we earn is death. But <clears throat> that phrase should more likely be understood to mean the wages that sin pays is death. In other words, the focus is not so much on my acts of sin as it is on the kind of master that sin is. What Paul is saying here is that no Christian would ever want to intentionally sin because sin pays such a terrible wage. You wouldn't want to work for someone like that. 
We could say that when we go back to work for our old boss, sin, the wages that he pays brings death, not life. And when Paul writes about death here, we might wonder if he is referring to our physical death here on earth, or maybe our spiritual death, or maybe even something else. But the word that is translated wages here is important in helping us to understand the answer to that kind of question. There are at least a couple of Greek words Paul could have used for wages. There's a word that means money paid at the end of the pay period. Paul actually used that particular word back in chapter 4 of Romans. He says, Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. But Paul doesn't use that word here. Instead, he uses a word that came from the Roman military that described the food rations that a soldier would receive each day. So the point Paul is making here is that there is a daily wage that accompanies our sin. Every time, every time we choose to sin, we die a little bit. Without faith in Jesus, our sin does eventually result in our physical death and permanent spiritual death in hell. But it's also a terrible ride on the way there. There's a sense in which a life of sin is punishment in itself. Back in chapter 1 of Romans, Paul indicated that God is currently pouring out His wrath by giving up unrighteous men to their own earthly lusts and passions. While it may, might seem, at least for a while, that sin offers life, in the end, it always delivers death. So, sin never delivers what it promises. But that's not the entire story here. Let's complete our main idea here from, from this morning's passage. See, sin never delivers what it promises, but Jesus always does. Jesus always does. So what does Jesus deliver? Well, Jesus, first of all, delivers real freedom. Back at the beginning of Romans, Paul shared that no matter what someone might think, everyone serves a master either the master of self and sin or the master of obedience to Jesus. <clears throat> but when I put my, my faith in Jesus, He does give me the freedom that I didn't have up until that point. See, the freedom to choose which master I will serve. Before becoming a disciple of Jesus, I had no choice because I was born with a sin nature. I was automatically a slave of sin whether I acknowledge that or not. I lived only for self, gratifying my earthly passions. I couldn't help it because that's who I was. But the moment I placed my faith in Jesus, He freed me from that slavery, gave me the ability to become His servant. And He also began the process of Christian maturity in my life in which He is transforming me to become more and more like Him. Also, the verb, have been set free, in verse 22, it's a passive verb. <clears throat> that means that I can't set myself free from slavery to sin. I can't do it myself. That's something only God can do. And it's something He delights in doing for those who will place their trust in Jesus. So Jesus delivers 100% on His promise to set me free from my slavery to sin. Jesus also delivers actual approval by not condemning nor shaming. 
John chapter 3, verse 17 says, For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. See, Jesus came to save and not condemn. Even though light casts shadows, its purpose is to illuminate. And though those who don't believe are condemned, God's purpose in sending His Son is salvation, not condemnation. God doesn't delight in the death of the wicked, but He desires that everyone be saved. And in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, it says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The very moment that I place my faith in Jesus, I, made, I, I am made to be right before God because the righteousness of Jesus is, is credited to me. That means that when God looks at me, He no longer sees my sin, that sin nature, because Jesus has already paid the penalty for that sin on my behalf. And unlike the, the fleeting approval that we experience from other people, that's based on what we've done for them recently, God's approval is based not on anything we've done, but on what Jesus has already done for us. Not only that, but a, a bit, bit later in Paul's letter, he describes how Jesus also takes away the shame that is a natural consequence of our previous slavery to sin. The Scripture says, Everyone who believes in Him will not be put to shame. So Jesus offers the kind of genuine approval that's far beyond anything that this world offers. And then also, too, Jesus delivers eternal life. Unlike sin, which offers the wages of death, God offers eternal life to us as a gift. Now, obviously, a gift is not something that we earn. Wages are an obligation. A gift is an act of grace. God never pays wages because He doesn't need our work. <laughs> Instead, we, He freely gives gifts to those who trust in Him. We trust in Him, and we love Him. And He gives us gifts. But what exactly, though, is eternal life? Is it merely a gift that I receive and store away for the future? Is it only a gift that becomes operational after I die? Or is there something, is something more to it? Jesus answers those questions with His own words in John chapter 17, verse 3. He says, And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So we see clearly here that eternal life is not just a personal possession. I don't own eternal life. Instead, eternal life is a relationship in which I come to know the one true God and His Son, Jesus. That's the idea that Paul expresses here at the end of Romans chapter 6 with the phrase, in Christ Jesus our Lord. So eternal life is not something I have, but rather an experience I participate in. And that experience begins the very moment that I trust my life to Jesus and submit my will to His. And it's no accident, no accident at all that, that uh, uh, Paul refers to Jesus as our Lord here. Once again, Paul confirms the truth that it's difficult to, to have Jesus as our Savior unless we're also willing to make Him our Lord. So eternal life. It's not just something I save up for the future. It's a gift that Jesus intends for me to experience and enjoy today and to share with others. So Jesus delivers what sin could never deliver, eternal life. 
what we shared so far obviously has some very practical implications for our lives. <clears throat> but I want to draw your attention to just a couple concrete ways that we can apply what we've learned in order to make sure that we don't get fooled by the promises of sin, which sin can never deliver. So what can we do? What can we do? I believe we can be a fruit inspector. We can be a fruit inspector. And that inspector of fruit would be of our own, not someone else's, but our own fruit. In this passage, Paul points out that both slavery to sin and slavery to Jesus produce fruit. So one of the practical ways that I can evaluate my life to determine who I am serving is look at the fruit that is being produced in my life. This is where another of Paul's letters, the one to the churches in Galatia, is very helpful. In Galatians chapter 5, starting with verse, 9, verse 16, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. So on a regular basis, I need to evaluate my life against the two lists that Paul presents here and see what kind of fruit I'm producing. If my life is characterized by things like sexual morality, jealousy, envy, and division, then there's a pretty good chance that I've let sin become my master again. But if my life is characterized by things like love, joy, and peace, gentleness, self-control, then chances are that I'm doing a pretty good job of letting Jesus take control of my life. Another way we can put this into practice is to choose wisely. Choose wisely. I'm reminded of the movie Indiana Jones and the Holy Grail and where he's searching for that and he comes up into the cave there and there's the knight that is guarding all the, whole, all the grails and he says, you need to choose wisely. Well, the one man before him did not choose very wisely and in fact he chose poorly is what the knight said. We need to choose wisely. Uh, we need to choose wisely in our life. Life is filled with contrasts, black and white, right and wrong, good and evil, joy and sorrow, truth and error. The greatest contrast is in verse 23. The wages of sin, death, the gift of God, eternal life. Our choices are always between these opposites. And the sixth chapter of Romans is filled with these contrasts. Verse 4 buried with Him through baptism into death, so we also should walk in newness of life. In verse 8, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with Him. In verse 11, 
Count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. See, the choice is ours. Either we choose sin and receive its wages, which is death, or we choose Jesus Christ and receive His gift, which is eternal life. You need to choose wisely. You need to wisely choose your ruler. Is it going to be sin or is it going to be obedience? We all like to think that we are free and independent and that we rule ourselves, but that is not an option. (laughs) Throughout this chapter of Romans 6, the Apostle Paul makes it clear that something or someone else is ruling your life. According to verse 16, either you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. There's no in-between. The ancient choice uh, that, that Joshua put before the people of Israel is the choice that each of us faces as well. He said, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your forefathers served beyond, beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. You need to wisely choose your ruler. You need to wisely choose your reward, wages, or gift. Every choice we make in life brings its inevitable rewards. Sometimes it's what we have earned. Other times it's it's unexpected, like a gift. When people choose to go to college, through study, hard work, sacrifice, they earn a degree. They expect that. Sometimes they also receive some things they don't earn or deserve or expect. For example, when I transferred to George Fox College to continue my college education, I met Becky there, who unexpectedly became God's gift to me. Sin pays wages. What you receive is what you earned. You worked for it. (laughs) You have it coming. It's your inevitable reward. What you get from God, on the other hand, is a free gift. You can't earn it. You don't deserve it. It can't be bought with money. It can't be borrowed with favor or taken by force. It's all by grace, the unmerited favor of God. Jesus said you have two choices, a choice of two roads, rather. You can take, you can take the one that is a broad way in life, It leads to destruction, and the other one that you can take is the narrow road that leads to life. When you choose the road you will take, you have chosen the results, the reward. Yogi Berra reportedly said, the theologian and big philosopher, he said, when you come to a fork in the road, take it. He explained that there was a fork in the road to his house, and it didn't matter whether you went to the right or the left side, as they both eventually led to his house. Unfortunately, that's not necessarily true on the road of life. When you come to a fork in the road of your life, the choice of the road you take results in life or death. It results in heaven or hell. It results in being closer to God or further away from Him. So choose wisely. Sin never delivers what it promises, but Jesus always does. And the good news is that Jesus has made it possible for 
me to choose whether to live in slavery to sin and experience its endless broken promises, or to make Jesus my Lord and serve Him and experience the freedom and the joy and the fulfillment that only He offers. But each one of us has to make that choice. As you go down the road of life, you've got to make that choice. You're going to come to a fork in the road. Which direction are you going to go? What will you choose? I'm going to invite the worship team to come on up and lead us in song. And as they do, let's pray. Lord Jesus, I ask that you would be with each one of us here today as you've clearly given us the choice that we have before us. And Lord, I pray that as we've heard about this and how you offer life, but sin offers death, I pray, Lord, that we would realize where we're walking and the road that we're going down and the choices we're making. And I pray, Lord, that if we're making choices that aren't getting us closer to you, we're making choices that cause us to get closer to the wages of sin. I pray, Lord, that we would realize our need for you and make changes in our life. To realize that you want us close to you and that you have an answer for us and you offer that gift of eternal life for us. Lord, if there's someone here today and someone online right now listening to us, I pray, Lord, that you would speak to the hearts of those who just who, who need to receive you as Savior, who realize they're walking down the wrong road. They need to take a, a detour off of that and get back on the road of life. So, Lord, I pray that you speak to the hearts of those who are here today and those who are online. If there's a need out there for that, Lord, I pray that they would see their need for you and, have, and, and their need to change and turn towards you. Lord, if there's someone here today that has been walking down the road of life but got a little detoured, made some choices along the way that probably has not glorified you, probably has been against you, actually, cause them to get further away from you. Lord, I pray that you'd help them, first of all, realize that they're not a lost cause, that they are loved by you, and that there is good news. They can be redeemed. There is a way off. There is a way over to the road of life. I pray, Lord, that they would realize that you offer that in forgiveness. You're a God of second chances, and I pray, Lord, that we would realize that as we go on down the, the road and might make wrong choices at times. And, Lord, if we find ourselves down that wrong road, I pray that we would hear that message, that there's good news. You offer a way out. You, for, you offer forgiveness. And Lord, I pray that we would receive that gift from you and get back on the road of life. Thank you, Lord, for speaking to us today. And Lord, I pray that you continue to speak to our hearts about the needs that are there in our life and how you can meet them. And Lord, as we sing these songs coming up, I pray, Lord, that uh, we would draw closer to you and again realize that you offer life to us. Help us, Lord, to choose wisely. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.